I was scouted, <laughs> recruited, spotted by another autistic person. We, that, I'm joking, obviously, we yeah. can't recruit someone to autism. But yeah. my cousin, Dominique, actually, who I didn't know very well before that because we, we grew up separately, she, she sort of took one look at me and was like, you know, you're autistic, right? You're listening to Your Jewish Life, Your Way with Karen Cinnamon the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2023. On the show, we divulge all of the secrets and know-how to being confident in celebrating and living your Jewish life your way with easy, simple ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about. So save your kvetching. We're talking less Jewish guilt and more Jewish joy here on out. Yalla, forget about the right and wrong ways to be Jewish. It's time to create a Jewish life you love living. Welcome to another episode of Your Jewish Life Your Way. It's so good to have you in my company. You are in for a treat today with my guest, the wonderful Sarah Gibbs, who's actually ex-staff at Smashing the Glass. Smashing the Glass, if you don't know, is our Jewish wedding platform. It's our sister brand to Your Jewish Life, which focuses on everything about Jewish weddings, real weddings, advice, guidance, vendor recommendations, the whole shaboodle. And it's actually, I started Smashing the Glass prior to Your Jewish Life. It's my original brand that I started back in 2013. So go check it out if you've never been there before, smashingtheglass.com. Sarah used to be on the writing team at Smash in the Glass and our friendship goes back a long, long way and she's now a published author. She has a brilliant Jewish rom-com coming out soon called Eight Bright Lights. So good to see Jewish strands in mainstream romantic fiction. So really, really excited to talk to her about that. And also we talked about being diagnosed with autism as an adult, an experience that has totally reshaped Sarah's life. We'll be talking about that and also about accessibility and Judaism, which I think is a really, really, really important conversation. So much good stuff, actually. We also talked about how confronting anti-Semitism at university really strengthened Sarah's Jewish identity. And also in terms of her autism, how her diagnosis has helped her learn to be easier on herself. So definitely give this one a listen. Always like to bring on diverse Jewish voices, of which Sarah is one. Love the fact that she's an original team writer at Smash in the Glass. And now here she is on the podcast talking about her incredible book and her autistic Jewish life. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Jump in on the conversation as always by DMing me at your Jewish life. And I'd love to hear what you make of today's episode. Enjoy. So welcome to the podcast, Sarah. So good to see you. It's been too long, hasn't it? It's been way too long. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Can't say you haven't been busy since so we should set the foundations of how can we know each other. Do you wanna do you wanna share yeah. our so background? I to write for your wonderful wedding blog, Smashing the Glass, and edit weddings and we do actually, the write-ups and we actually found each other that existed through the wedding industry because I think way back, didn't you have did you have a wedding blog or I did. I had a wedding blog and then sort of doing other things, but I, I just stayed in the wedding industry via you for a little bit longer well I think um, we realized that we were both Jewish and there was a connection point and yeah. I just have always loved Sarah's writing and 
you managed to convey emotion really beautifully without making it sugary and everything. And then a writing position became available. I said, I hope Zara can work with Smashing Glass. <laughs> and we did for, wasn't it a good couple of years? I think. It was, yeah, it was a long time. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Really, really fun times. We had such, do you remember one time you, you had to, had to they had the terrible burden of <laughs> reviewing one of the like luxury savoy butler service oh yes and uh, yeah, i came to yeah. do a write-up and take some pictures and we had this lovely breakfast that was yes so we did breakfast in bed at this i remember we were like lounging around on some enormous bed writing about the experience having breakfast thank you for that memory yeah, yeah. No, we, we had some good times and it just cemented our friendship forever, really. So we're always a little bit in touch here and there. But yeah. I wanted to bring Sara on today for several reasons. I wanted to have some conversations about accessibility and Judaism and autism and Judaism. And also, really excitingly, Sara's got a book coming out, which is, can we call it chiclet? Or is that not a phrase anymore? Yeah, romantic comedy. I'm not, I, I don't, I mean... I know some authors bulk at the the word chiclet. I I'm I I can understand I can understand because like the word chick is kind of like <laughs> for, <laughs> for women. We need an I, updated I, version. I, I, I don't know. I I would say maybe women's fiction or romantic comedy. It's not. It, it, I I certainly wouldn't say it's exclusively for women because I've had I've had male friends read it and uh, be very nice to my face about it. So <laughs> <laughs> um, whether or not they enjoyed it is another question. But they were certainly. <laughs> They, they certainly said they did. So I'm going to take that as I think it's it's about women and it's written with women in mind. There is no reason that men and non-binary people and however else you identify can enjoy it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, sort of selfishly, I look for that sort of genre of book when I have a holiday booked and I just associate it with indulging, relaxing downtime by the pool or in the holidays by the sitting by the fire or whatever and I just want an enjoyable fun read with maybe some you know deeper parts to it but nothing that's going to and there's such a gap for those kind of romantic comedy novels with a Jewish element to it or a Jewish theme Mm -hmm. or you know rounded Jewish characters whatever so it's it was it's really nice to 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 know that that you know have you read the matzah ball by jean meltzer that's been popular in our smashing have, book club yeah I've, <laughs> I've heard about it. it's on my list i'm very excited to read it. i was trying to avoid reading yes other jewish comedies while i was writing mine because i was so scared of sort of subconscious plagiarism yeah um, yeah i've read um i've read amber cruise books um yeah. And she is also writing the sort of Jewish romantic comedy space. And I really, really enjoyed those. They're fantastic. So, um, yeah, there there are people doing it, but it's not certainly not as wide a genre as like, you know, the Christmas book market. Or Well, it's funny because you said you posted something recently where someone like reviewed your books. It's very on pre-order. Well, I don't know how, well, whatever, in whatever way they, they viewed it. And they said, I love this Christmassy vibe. And what happened there? <laughs> <laughs> it's <just> brilliant. <laughs> I mean, in their defense, and, and it was a lovely review. Thank you so much. In their defense, it does culminate. So it was set in Hanukkah last year. So it culminates on Christmas Day. So there is an yeah. element of Christmas to I wouldn't call it a Christmas book because obviously it's, <laughs> it is it is quite explicitly about the eight days of Hanukkah and the Jewish women experiencing them. But that Christmas is involved. So it was yeah. technically, technically correct. Yeah, great, great. Well, we'll get on to the book, but I wanted to start with 
I always like with a podcast un really understanding my guests and their upbringings and their Jewish lives and you know have you have you watched the Jewish matchmaker yet with Elizabeth <laughs> so I loved her in the first episode where she said you know there's 50 million Jews and 50 million ways to be Jewish yeah. and that's kind of one of the things we're trying to showcase on the podcast you know the diversity of being Jewish and so mm -hmm. I always like to really get to know my guests and their upbringing and how that's changed or not changed during adulthood so how, how did Judaism play a role in your life growing up set the scene for us so both parents are Jewish my mom is sort of British Jewish with you know kind of German Jewish roots I would say sort of having uh, you know my grandpa escaped the holocaust like right before right before things got really bad they picked up and moved here so that was very very lucky and my, my dad was Israeli and sort of, you know, all sorts of Eastern European backgrounds on, on, on that side, Polish, Latvian. And I guess we grew up in quite a, I would call it like a reform slash secular household. Like we, we certainly weren't observant, observant in, in you know, we, we weren't we weren't orthodox in any way we you know high holy days we'd go to shul and we had bar and bat mitzvahs and you know we did shabbat during my childhood and we did you know hanukkah and holiday you know but all the sort of there there are so many jewish holidays where someone would be like oh it's the cheesecake holiday and like yeah. i have no idea what that, what that is yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um sort of have to google it yeah i i, I think there's that feeling of like you know, it's very much a cult part of my cultural identity and my familial identity, but also maybe like when I got to university and met people who were, had grown up in much more observant households, I was like, oh, I, I feel very not Jewish enough. Yeah, I think we all feel a bit of that, no matter how observant we are. There's yeah. always something we might be doing wrong or whatever. But um, so I I was like you also had, grew up with one British Jewish parent and one Israeli parent. And for me personally, the Israeli vibe was a, is, is such a big part of my identity and impacted my childhood what about you with the Israeliness yeah <laughs> for your... sure and I think you know we're, we're going to get on to this with um, autism and things but I think it's it probably pay, played a significant role in why my diagnosis was missed I think there were a lot yeah. of other reasons <laughs> but but like you know when you know, people like are looking out for a blunt sort of you know I guess it, it, that's a hallmark of being autistic right this blunt communication this sort of no frills direct communication and you can kind yeah. of put that down with me to totally. just like having an Israeli parent and yeah. growing up in that in that environment so like there were lots of little things like and you it's know, something to yeah. be appreciated you know I love I think that's why we get on so well. There's just none of this, oh, let's just check if Sarah's okay to record this morning. Could you mind not? It's like, is this a good time for you? You know, it's yeah. just, that's what we, I appreciate that in people. It's funny that, is it considered, I mean, we're sort of digressing, but is it considered a non-attractive trait? sort of in historically if, if my life experiences are to go <laughs> anything to go by yes um people yeah. find it quite jarring I think in in British culture certainly like there's there's a sort of passive aggressive communication culture here like um you you're meant to just sort of hint at what's bothering you or what you want yes. or what you want to say yes. and hope that somebody understands from the way you're dancing around it what you're trying to communicate to them and then and then you have to interpret their their little <laughs> dance back and so like what you know 
I guess when I'm interacting with Israelis or when I'm in Israel, it is that that language barrier, that autism to neurotypical language barrier that's much more prevalent here sort of is is less. Yeah. Yeah. And then into adulthood, did you how did you kind of bring your Jewish life into your into adulthood? Is it important to you? Is it more about the traditions? Are you less into it? I think it became really important to me at university in a way that I just sort of took it for granted in my childhood. And I think it was think, yeah. it, it was in Freshers Week when I met some, I started to meet people and it would just come up that I was Jewish or that I was half Israeli, particularly the latter. Were, the, the reactions were so sort of not violent, but really extreme. Like people would just walk off swear at me one person said to me oh I'm part Jewish too I want to find out which part so I can cut it off (gasps) and I was so yeah that happened to you I I had so much of that in like my first sort of my formative university experience that I just went and sought out other Jews you know it was was yes I was like I I just want to feel safe with someone and I joined the Jewish society and shout out to to Jonathan who ran it before me it's like just one guy trying to keep it all together what what uni was it Exeter and he was like "Uh, there's nobody to take this over do you want it just want to do the Jewish society so I did and there weren't there weren't very many of us and you know it was it was a ride but I you know through that I started going to the local synagogue and meeting the local community and actually that was really like a sense of family and familiarity and you know because I was undiagnosed autistic and so like all of my familiarity and routine and everything was out the window and I really struggled and actually when I went to synagogue there was always somebody who would have me over for a Friday night meal or who was looking that you know they were looking out for me in a way that you know I that's the nice thing about being Jewish you can sort of just rock up at any synagogue in the world and say hey I'm Jewish is there anywhere I can stay can I like if you're in trouble you know you can you just need to find the local Jewish community and you'll be okay yeah and that's that's so special and Mm. you know that that's the stuff that we value that you can't really describe sometimes to people who are not Jewish it's just hard that that connection that feeling of Someone isn't a complete and utter stranger, even when you meet them on the other side of the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, so moving on into adulthood and, you know, so you, you talked about being an undiagnosed autistic person and in, in, in well, not early adulthood, like well into your 20s, even 30s. I was diagnosed five years ago yesterday. So I was 30. Yeah. On your 30th birthday? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> It wasn't my birthday. It wasn't your birthday, but it was, <laughs> you, were, you were 30. Yeah. Um, how, how, I'm sure you've been asked this many times, but it's so important to understand what led you to that diagnosis in case other people, it helps others. Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> I think like lots of late diagnosed autistic people, I spent most of my life trying to cover up how difficult things were for me or making excuses for them, but, you know, because I didn't really understand why things were difficult or why I had, you know, what's known as like, meltdowns for example which like you know who wants to be the adult who tells people oh I have these really weird uncontrollable tantrums and like I they that's not what they are but that's what they look like and you know I have no idea what they are you so you know you just you cover that stuff up and you you sort of you know you lie to yourself a little bit and you know when I think we've probably had dinner together and you probably see me like picking around my food and like eating one little thing or something it's you know it's it's because of like 
food aversions and sensory stuff but I had no language for that before my diagnosis I had no way to explain you know if I was going to dinner at someone's house I had no way to explain I'm autistic so I'm like oh I'm allergic to almost everything which to be fair Jewish I am Um, but, (laughs) but you know that's not that's not the factor it was you know if 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 some if I don't know I was out with friends and the lights were too bright and things were difficult for me I would be I wouldn't want to ruin people's fun or be like oh can we just sit down for a minute or I'm overwhelmed or what you know it was so it got harder and harder as I got older to to cover it up I guess because it got more extreme and it does with age and especially if you're forcing yourself into environments that are difficult constantly eventually you hit something called burnout and that started to happen to me but that's not why I sought diagnosis I was scouted recruited spotted uh, by another autistic person we I'm joking obviously we can't recruit someone to autism but my my cousin Dominique actually who I didn't know very well before that because we we grew up separately she she sort of took one look at me and was like you know you're autistic right but what made her say that to you when you were 30 not 25 or 20 it was just so happy it was just a moment she did say it before I think she did sort of float it a a couple of years beforehand and I and I and I just sort of ignored it I was like I don't need another thing wrong with me which is like now that I like look back it was you know ignorant on many levels ignorant about what autism is you know ignorant about internalized ableism ignorant about like another thing like it was just an umbrella thing that explained all of my difficulties you know that if I had looked into it then it would have explained everything and I might have got another two years of self-knowledge but I didn't Um, and she just sort of you know she's like maybe just look into it because I think what you're thinking about is movie autism is what autism sorry movie autism which is yeah like like Rain Man yeah like a totally fictional sort of thing that that you know maybe vaguely resembles what being autistic looks like for some people on the outside but doesn't actually convey anything about the experience of it or how it presents differently in different people and and so on so I'm very 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 grateful that she said something and that she and that she pushed it a little bit because you know I was resistant because I don't you know I honestly don't know where I would be if I was still working so hard to cover up how hard things were for me I don't you know I think that could have been life ruining long term absolutely and you know and I remember you touching upon these kind of scenarios or to me all the time it was a it was defining Mm. your your life these these kind of experiences of sort Mm. of the and the trying to fit in thing and the thing is on the outside someone doesn't know you very well you you're living a inverse commas normal life so why would you be you know there's so much Mm -hmm. misunderstanding about autism which you've tried really hard since you've been diagnosed to educate elegantly what it's all about mm. which I hope we can do a bit more of on to, on the podcast today but what I found interesting about what you were just what you were just sharing was you know we talk a lot about when you're Jewish and sometimes that feeling of, well you've you've just been sharing about how you were trying to fit in desperately trying to fit in mm. so like saying instead of making it uncomfortable for someone at a dinner you would say I'm allergic da, 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 or whatever so you're trying to sort of fit in in a way is that right and it reminds mm-hmm. me sort of sometimes about being Jewish as well that kind of we're made to feel that we we can't be openly and unapologetically Jewish we've got sure. to put, pull back and yeah interesting to to hear that but in a much more extreme version literally or every waking hour yeah and that's where intersectionality comes in you know if you're I mean if you're if you have any facets to your identity that 
that sort of put you in different protected characteristics, I guess. So, you know, you're going to find it more and more difficult to, you know, articulate your experience of the wider world and to integrate in 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 a in an easy way because the world isn't necessarily built for you and your needs and and who you are and your identity. Yeah. So you you decided you decided to get checked out, or did she tell you, "Come on, you're doing this." No, no, no. I, 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 I sort of. I think there was a bit of a belligerent. Okay, I'll look at this checklist you sent me, and that you know, then I'll be like, no, that's not me, and I'll get on with my day. Like, I was so overconfident about it. I had like a deadline that day, and I was like, I'll just quickly look before I start work, because if it's you know, like gonna yeah. be a quick like yeah. whatever, and I, I like five minutes later I'm like sobbing on the phone to my husband like oh that's me that's definitely like I oh. it was like someone had been following me around my whole life with a notepad you know it oh, was really? really yeah really uncanny and then what happened well that was that was my deadline out the window that day which yes. is um, out of character <laughs> um, yeah I you know I uh, went through an initial process of like first of all phoning everyone who knew me well and reading them the checklist quite common with autistic people is you know we get obsessive interests and the first obsessive interest (laughs) when we find out we're autistic is autism yeah Um, so I was you know I was phoning everyone and reading it out and long dramatic pauses to just let let it sink (laughs) in um, you know I do all these things and everyone everyone who knew me very well was immediately like on board it was people I think it was the people who have historically been the least sympathetic about me having difficulties and always accused me of faking them or or made me feel like that who just wouldn't and still won't accept it. Mm, there's a sort, sort of sort fear of, around sort of uh, fear around it or I just think very attached not, yeah. to like if if you think somebody's behaving in a certain way because they're a brat or because they need to have everything their way or because they're like this or like that and you've had that image of them for years and and you've you've treated them a certain way because of it letting go of that is probably emotionally quite confronting like to change your perception of somebody and go oh okay it was all this stuff it wasn't you know she didn't just she's not just a picky eater like this is a this is an eating disorder you know yeah. um, like a restricted food eating disorder that associated with autism so you know there's all sorts of things Such like a lack that of but, empathy yeah. though you know it's all yeah. it's about this is the way I'll see this thank you very much and uh yeah so it must have so much change with that I, I know you've talked about it on Twitter and then I've heard you speak about it but I've never had a conversation with you about it since since the diagnosis yeah. and I just talk about a life changing I mean suddenly you're doing everything with an understanding rather than a what's wrong with me and how mm. did your how did your life change as a result you just I stopped doing unnecessary things for the benefit of other people yes. is the first like that's a good lesson for yeah. for, for us to learn yeah we are. it was you know like okay do I have you know I have limited energy I have limited resources I have you know um like these situations these environments are painful for me I'm not gonna say oh yeah sure the busy cafe is fine or you know meet up with too many people in a week and that does mean that you know I I see fewer people I see people less often and it, you know that that is a shame but also I'm someone who needs to recuperate energy in between things and if I have multiple social things back to back it can be really really draining and exhausting and I I pay for it you know so you know if I'm if I'm 
indoors and the lights are too bright I'll just put my sunglasses on and I don't really care if people are looking at me or you know they think I'm you know a, yeah. a diva for wearing my sunglasses indoors or whatever yeah. or you know so I will just yeah, yeah. I will just order the thing I want to order, not the thing that I think is going to make me look less like a child. <laughs> you know, oh I, my it's... goodness, I can't get it. I mean, wow. Wow. Yeah, it's fine when I'm with my safe people. And there are a lot of really wonderful safe people in my life. It gets a bit more tricky. Like sometimes the outside world sort of comes in in a way I don't expect. And I remember, oh, most people don't get it, you know, but I try give to us surround a scenario, myself. Scenario like that? Oh, God, this is I mean, this is mortifying to almost to talk about, but I have talked about it on Twitter. But for example, my next door, this is I, and I totally understand why this happened. My next door neighbor heard me having meltdowns and thought I was being abused and called social services, oh. which was just like possibly one of the most humiliating yes. moments of my life and, and meant so well yes. on her part, meant yes. to, you know, meant to protect another woman you know, I, I completely understand where, you know, how that happened and why that happened. But like from my perspective, you know, having getting that phone call from social services saying, are you all right? Was just like, oh, oh you know, because yeah. I'm so used to everyone in my life just knowing like, OK, Sarah, Sarah's having a meltdown. Just leave her to it and she'll be all right. And what, you know, it's not it's nowhere near as bad as it sounds. Yes, You know, but um, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Do these kind of things inform your writing and your comedy yeah. work? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, <laughs> at some point they say, you know, comedy is pain plus time. So in a couple of years, it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and is there such a thing as a community for autistic or a space for autistic Jews? Is that needed? Is it a thing? Is it not needed? I mean, not if there is explicitly, I'm not part of it. And if not, why? That's a good question. Like, where's my is it invite? Um, like, would you like to be part of a community? I mean, is what I mean is, is it part of your identity so that you don't need a special space to be autistic and Jew? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, you know what, it's so prevalent in the Jewish community being autistic that it, it's almost like unnecessary to wall it off and say and and say like yeah. this is a, a space for autistic jewish people because we we, we just keep finding each other organically i think mm. I, it might be nice I, I haven't felt any like pressing need i you know the the autistic community in general and i'm really generalizing here because you know we're all different we're all humans and of course there's bigotry like in any other community but i found autistic spaces generally to be a bit more open-minded and understanding than the general population and I have had some moments where I've gone mm, you know like one person read my book and was like so you admit your father was in the Israeli military I was like yeah it's conscription admit. he grew up in Israel yeah. like it is nothing to admit it's just yeah. like a thing yeah. it's you yeah. know it's not it's just the reality of of living in a war zone I don't know what you know so what's well, not a secret um no. but it was you know so I've had a couple of moments like that but no more than like in the general population mm. and probably I would say quite a lot less like people people are more curious than they are judgmental in my experience but you know there people can be autistic and horrible as well you know it's not like everyone's a saint but there is a there is a bent towards social justice and understanding intersectionality and understanding each other's experiences so you know I, I do find people are generally pretty accepting 
I want to invite you to hang out with me day and night inside my community, Smashing Life. It's my private community for Jewish women. It's filled with hundreds of like-minded Jewish women like you. We don't do labels. We don't do judgment. It's just pure, authentic connection. And we're all there to meet our new Jewish besties and have a good time. So I'm going to hand over to Ashley, who's one of our members, to tell you a bit more about it. But just bear in mind, that if you want to try it out, you can. Just use code JEWISHJOY at checkout and you'll get a free one month. That's JEWISHJOY at checkout. Go to smashinglife.club and put that code in. Now let's hear from Ashley so she can tell you what it's like. So my favorite thing about being in Smashing Life is that it provides access to basically a group of friends where it's safe to share things that are good, that are bad, and things that you would never share publicly like, I just took a pregnancy test and it came back negative. Everybody commiserate with me or someone at work just threw me under the bus. You know, people are so supportive or you get to share something positive like, hey, I just got a promotion at work, but I can't share it yet because it hasn't been announced yet. You can just share everything with each other. Just your group of friends supporting you for whatever you need. It's so special. So there you have it. That's Smashing Life. Come on in. I want to hang out with you in there. I want to get to know you. Just go to smashinglife.club and use code JEWISHJOY for your free one month. And you talked earlier about your characteristic has always been, you know, bluntness, straight talk, sometimes unwittingly making someone someone feel, feel uncomfortable. It's not the, but it's mm. just that's the, and, and that's a considered an autistic trait. But do you feel that you've always managed, you've always felt that you can be unapologetically Jewish as well? Like, even if it's, you know, because I think in the non Jewish world, we're often made to feel that we have to diminish our Jewishness. It's not acceptable to, you know, some people don't feel comfortable walking around with big stars or David, if that's their thing, or like you say, talking about Israel in a, on Twitter or whatever it is, you know, we're made to feel, no, you can't do that. Have you always felt that you can be completely and utterly as Jewish as you want in any space, or is that slightly different? Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, I have always been loudly Jewish in yes, every space, but I haven't always felt comfortable. Yes. You know, I... Like it hasn't stopped me from doing it, but I've come. It's it's caused a lot of. It's you know it has. That's the wrong. That's the wrong way to phrase it. It like being loudly Jewish hasn't caused anything. People's reactions at times, and like there's been, there have been some horrific incidents, and like especially in the last few years, you know, sort of tweeting about politics and like um and you know not talking about Israel at all. Like I'm talking about anti-Semitism and you know in British politics and all sorts of things. Like I've had horrific, horrific abuse for that, and that was. You know, I, I I think that that took its toll on my on my mental and physical health for a long time, and you know I can I can think back to lots of sort of examples over my life where um where I faced quite overt anti-Semitism, like um you know for example what, the earliest one I can remember is when I was I think about seven years old and the school bu- bully told me I'd killed Christ. <laughs> so at that age already it was seeping out yeah and my little literal brain is going how could i have killed christ i'm seven (laughs) and that was that was thousands of years ago that's nearly two thousand years ago what are you talking about yeah but you're made to feel ashamed for being jewish you know um constantly and i was just wondering whether that liberation of you know since your diagnosis of guys as in the world 
this is who I am. Yeah. Has that manifested as well with being Jewish or is that a whole nother thing? <laughs> yeah, I think I was already mostly there with being Jewish. But I think I, I probably, I think I... I care a little bit less about people's reactions and what they're going to think. It's like, you know what? It's, I don't have the energy to, to care so much anymore. Yeah. I, I, I think everything, you know, I've been more comfortable sharing every facet of my identity because I'm just so tired of hiding, you know, yes. you get to a certain age and you're just like, you know, I'm 35 and this is who I am. Who and if I you am. don't like me, I, I don't have the energy to care. <laughs> and I know you have a lot of, you're active on Twitter most of the time and you take Twitter breaks, but you do engage and you do speak out and people feel like they know who you are from your Twitter. It's well used. You know, again, with, with the Jewish conversations, I find Twitter to be so hateful to Jews more than Instagram and, and some other platforms. And again, has that made you on Twitter you know, it's like we're made to sometimes feel we have to hide away, not hide away, that's too extreme, but sort of retreat a little bit because we our mental health just can't handle it. Otherwise, we've got to have some imagination. Like, do you feel like that on Twitter or would? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. I, you know, it's not, I'm not tweeting about being Jewish all day, every day. I think I'm less, I, I'm less uh, affected by what people say now than I was a few years ago. Um, it got a bit scary a few years ago. I got doxxed. What so is someone put, I've heard of that. Someone put my address in a thread full of anti-Semitic comments about me, Your my home address. address. Yeah. <gasps> mm -hmm. And then what? I mean, well, very moved. I mean, immediately? yes. That I uh, don't want to make it sound like there's some sort of powerful Jewish lobby or something. Um, but I, I did. Uh, That's I had a protective. A, you know, I yeah. had a, a a friend who is a very uh, like a friendly sort of acquaintance, uh, rather over familiarity on Twitter, who is a very prominent lawyer, libel lawyer, and immediately contacted someone at Twitter and got it taken down, yes. like within minutes. And I contacted the police and they they said it was a hate crime. And then someone else managed to some sort of super sleuth managed to figure out from their account, like because it was anonymous based on stuff they posted exactly who this person was. And I reported Brilliant. it to the police and they were like, oh, we don't have the resources to do anything about it. Really? Yeah. This is just a few years ago. Yeah. <gasps> I'm speechless. Yeah. I mean, they said, look, nothing's going to happen to you. Like, basically, it's all talk. Like, no one's going to show up at your house. And I do, I do think that's probably right. Um, but No, you know, but it's, yeah. I mean, uh, that's scary, scary stuff. And it, it, it yeah. has to be put to bed. So any tips for anyone listening who wants to feel more confident about sort of haters online? You said you don't let it bother you as much as it did a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, try to be safe as much as you can don't you know like my my thing was from something from years ago that my address was searchable if you really knew where to look and obviously that's that's no longer available you know really try to protect you know don't don't post where you're going and where you're going to be and you know don't tag your location and don't you know don't post identifying pictures of like your streets or your car or whatever else you know be be sensible um and, you know in terms of confidence I don't know that there's anything you can do really to to cultivate that it's just sort of you just but you know, to engage in in, in in dialogue with 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 not haters obviously that's a waste of time but people that you feel if I just spent a couple of minutes educating them I could you know change their mind or you just 
sometimes, but it's almost always a waste of time. Is it even with yeah. people that you think are actually open to listening? I think most people are not open to listening. And it sounds depressing. But um, I, I think most people, when they say, oh, I'm just asking questions, they're not just asking questions. Mm. They're, they're trying to needle you into a reaction or they're, they're trying to waste your day. Very occasionally, I have just said said something to someone and I wrote, you know, I wrote quite a long article about anti-Semitism in, in politics and stuff. Um, and, you know, that did change a few minds. But that's, you know, I think that's fewer that's fewer minds i think the, the people who are more likely to have their minds changed are like the third party bystander like not the people engaging with you like the people watching the conversation unfold so if you do want to engage with someone you know do it with that in mind i guess that you're, then, you're not yeah. trying to change the mind of the person you're trying to you know it's it's for the benefit of whoever else might be reading it yeah and i i like to sometimes point out again no never any point with sort of haters or people that you know just aren't gonna listen but some people are innocently sharing maybe something or retweeting something that's actually really harmful to jews and they just don't realize mm. just gently pointing out why this is harmful to jews not to say you're anti-semitic what are you you know but this is actually really harmful to jews what you've done yeah. and you know, sometimes i feel like you know can move the needle a bit but mm. It number one is mental health and protecting that, yeah. and you know, social media. It is, but I have to say, because I spend most of my time on Instagram, I only really go on Twitter to sort of see what's happening or if there's some interesting conversations happening. I don't really partake. I'm quite shocked at what did I see the other day? I can't remember. I think it was someone famous saying something supporting Jews on some topic that was in the oh in the news. I don't know. I'm just the hate that was you know and it's yeah it's eye-opening stuff (laughs) I mean Musk's Twitter especially you know is full of Nazis it's uh, Mm. it's not not great yes yes and I know you tried out another platform didn't you when he came in oh yeah I mean just nothing you know when everyone converges somewhere else when everyone decides where they're going just let me know yes I'm so tired of starting a new thing and then like everyone everyone giving up on it so like when we've all settled on what the next thing is I will be there I mean for what it's worth I know you're a words person but Instagram does not have that same culture and it also has very good filters so I've got all sorts of keyword filters that I just don't see any anything like that yeah um, on my on my posts but it's different I know Twitter's your Twitter's your thing and you're so good at tweeting (laughs) I I mean Twitter's you know it's a writer's platform so it is hard you know it's sort of like oh I've got to take a picture and I've got to yeah curtains and I've got to put the lights on and I've got to clear (laughs) you know it's like it's a faff isn't it we'll link to your Twitter in the show notes because it's well worth following uh Sarah on Twitter so I want to talk about your book coming out eight bright lights which i know is already available to pre-order oh in the united states as well can we pre-order it i'm not sure yet i don't i don't think it's out in the states yet but i I know well let let me know when it is because everyone should read eight bright lights i was lucky enough to get a proof copy from sarah i haven't quite finished it yet but i am loving it absolutely loving it but prior to Eight Bright Lights, you actually have already, at the age of what, early 30s, already written a memoir. How did you, Drama Queen, which was, talk, talk to us about Drama Queen and how that came about. It's a bit pessimistic, isn't it? <laughs> right, <laughs> life story <laughs> in my early 30s. Needed. You needed to, well, let, let me hear, let me understand. <laughs> yeah, no, it, basic, it's a, it's a memoir about growing up undiagnosed autistic and a sort of new agey uh, 
I wouldn't say quite jubu, but like, you know, that that kind of vibe, that kind of community. Yeah, just all the all the different ways, all the different traits that were and labels that were misunderstood and misattributed to me because we didn't understand what was going on. So yeah, it's it's just it's about all the unhelpful labels really. And what kind of reaction did you have? What what kind of one stand out that you had to that book that you've had already to the book? Oh no, the reactions have been lovely, really. Like I get such I get such nice messages from people. You know, it's it's I would say net very positive. You know, I like you, you always remember the the few bad reviews, mainly because they're funny. The first two the first two reviews that I got um were before the book came, just like sort of on publication day, I think. And they were both three star reviews. So I was like, oh no, that's not, you know, it, it obviously balanced out in the end. But the, those first two reviews, one was like, oh, too much about autism and not enough about Sarah. And the other <laughs> one was like, too much about Sarah, not enough about autism. <laughs> and I was like, what if I just make them fight to the death? <laughs> and that way the problem solves itself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, mostly just people, you know, it's mostly autistic people reading it or their families. It would be lovely if it got a wider audience, but that's a real problem with quote unquote autism books is that, you know, it's it, or any minority experience. It's like trying to get people to eat their vegetables. It's like people don't want to feel bad. You, know? you won't feel bad. It's funny. You can you you can laugh at me and feel very superior. So if that appeals, um, then please buy it. And I think it is available in the states now. If it's not, it's it's available by the book depository to to order to the states. It's it's lovely to hear people's stories. I had to turn off like DMs and change my name on Facebook and stuff just because people with the best will in the world were sort of messaging me long trauma dumps about their lives and I, you know it, it i think it's difficult because obviously it's it's not you know writing a book is not a two-way medium and i'm not necessarily expecting to to know how to respond to every single stranger's you know like them reading my book doesn't require them to respond to me or to know what to say but me receiving a long message that you know it's some stuff that's actually very difficult and triggering and like I, I I'm not qualified to to know how to respond in the right way and when it was coming in such volume that I was like I, I you know I don't actually I it feels irresponsible for me to be receiving these messages so now people can only comment in public which is you know I feel a bit mean like no, I, I don't, no. but it's not, it's just it just feels like I'm not you know I'm not a psychologist I'm not qualified to engage with people on their really difficult life traumas when I don't know them and I don't know their circumstances. And I'm, you know, I'm getting, say, you know, at one point I was getting like, you know, sort of 10 messages like that a day. And I was like, I, I really? can't, you know, what happens if someone messages me like that and they feel not heard or ignored or like they've, that's for them, that's reaching out. And I haven't, you know, so it's, it's just easier if there's no, no way to do that, which um, I know sounds horrible, but. And I'm imagining that was an unexpected reaction. You didn't see that yeah. coming. No, no, did not. Interesting. <laughs> and again, like one thing I'm really picking up on from you and so much for us to take from is boundaries. Yeah. You, know, you put yourself in the public eye or you do something or you've, you know, with your um, diagnosis or whatever it is, what you're willing to absorb from people, what you're not, you know, we have to put boundaries up yeah. to protect ourselves, to be the best versions of, of who we are and to, I, I find I've, I've gotten really big into boundaries since, since I turned 40 in my 40s and family, in, you know, in particular, where sometimes I'm guilty of sort of doing too much, giving too much, doing yeah. too much myself. And I didn't have the courage to do it earlier on in life. And mm. I, I, I actually feel like when I have set boundaries, people have reacted quite well to them. How about yeah. you? 
yeah it's the same like when you know you put you put your prices up or whatever and yeah. people are willing to pay for for quality it's a, i think people respect boundaries and if they don't it's a very clear indication of who should be in your life and who shouldn't mm. and i really like the example with your book and the, and the dms you're getting because that's not a boundary that you know that you're you're putting mm. you're you're putting that there for your own sake it's not about yeah. that and it's it's really really smart so how did the experience of writing fiction differ from the memoir? And did it take I mean, as long, longer? Yeah, it's a different kind of vulnerability because, you know, when you're writing a memoir, you're putting, you're deciding how much of yourself to share. When you're writing fiction, you're like, here, look at the sexy guy I made up. <laughs> like, <laughs> look at my silly brain story. <laughs> and it's it's a different kind of embarrassing because it's like, this is clearly what I think is cool and hot. And what I like, yes, you know, yes. it's quite exposing. Yeah. And they don't tell you how embarrassing writing fiction is. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so so different different challenges, I would say. But ultimately, it's you know it's the same skill set. It's still crafting a narrative and crafting a story, and you know setting up jokes and setting up tension and breaking the tension, and you know knowing knowing how to build things. And then it's it, you know it's not it's not a world apart. It's just it's a different mental space to occupy. And I've got to ask you how the, some of the plot lines involve the London Jewish wedding scene. <laughs> How did your time writing for Smashing the Glass inform those those stories? Those well, ones? obviously, Corinne is a fictional monster. You know, she is she's, a monster. She's not. Um, <laughs> she's not anyone who who uh, who no. I actually encountered <laughs> in the Jewish community. But I think, it, you know, it, it meant less research for sure. Like it meant it was a space <laughs> I knew well. It was a you know I know these events. I know you know I know what a sort of a, a lavish a more lavish celebration would look like. I know what some of the more ridiculous bar mitzvahs might look like, or you know over the top things, or you know how how some some types of planners might impose their own taste, or you know or have their hard boundaries of what they think is in or good or. So it was, you know, obviously that it's heightened reality. It's it's mm. very much a work of fiction, and and the, maybe the types of people you encounter, the the diversity of people. You know, she she encounters some really great people in the industry, and then she encounters some sort of cliquey mean girl stuff. And you know, you you do get that in the wedding industry as well. I, that was quite a big part of my experience was there were cliques and mm. you know that it was it, it was that kind of world to navigate especially as an autistic person in events is yes. you know that's a lot yeah and just because we'll link to Sarah's own Jewish wedding on Smashing the Glass which was nothing <laughs> to do with her time at Smashing the Glass it was well before but it's such a beautiful wedding and lots of meaning and beautifully written by Sarah so we can we link to that in the show yeah, notes absolutely <laughs> So we're going to move on to our quick fire round. I don't know how you'll deal with this, but we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> quick fire, just off what comes to mind. It could be a one word answer. It could be a whole story as you wish. Are you ready? Oh gosh, this could get weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the easy ones. Do you buy or bake a challah? Oh, bye. Hopeless. I tried to bake one once and it it was just this underbaked, poorly plated mess. I don't even want to, <laughs> uh, I, I don't even want to show people the picture. It was, it was just an embarrassment. <laughs> oh, favorite Yiddish word. Ooh, Ooh good question. I think it's got to be schlep. Oh it's yeah. A, it sounds like what it is, doesn't it? It's a brilliant word. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite Jewish tradition? Mm, donuts at Hanukkah. 
No. <laughs> that kind of counts for favorite Jewish food as well. <laughs> Donuts at Hanukkah. <laughs> Smashing the glass or a big horror? Oh, big horror. Um, home-cooked elaborate Shabbat dinner or a Chinese takeout Shabbat or something else? <laughs> oh, Shabbat pizza. Shabbat pizza in the house. Yeah. Love it. What is the semi-random thing always found in your bag or your purse? <laughs> um, I always, always, because I'm so um, weepy because I've got, you know, so Jewish with all the allergies and so autistic with all the light sensitivities. <laughs> There's always like a million tissues in my bag. Like sometimes I just go with a whole bog roll. Like it looks very, very weird. And this is, you've written a whole book about this, but I'll see the quick fire question. You'll love this one. This is just like a random quick fire question I tend to ask people. What's something people seem to misunderstand about you? <laughs> I think, I actually think based on my Twitter, sometimes people think I'm nice. <laughs> like, oh, really? and, uh, my friends are just like, oh, if people knew who you really are. <laughs> What's the most important thing you've learned in your life? I think um, the value of trying to understand what is going on for other people um, and not jumping to conclusions about what's driving their behavior or their idiosyncrasies or, or whatever else. It's funny from the outside, well, from the outside, as well as I've known you over the years, I've always find, found you really empathetic and always being that person. Thank you. <laughs> so you must have learned it quite young. <laughs> yeah, I think more so since my diagnosis mm. when I've got, you know, I've learned to go easier on myself and it's mm. made me think more about what other people might be experiencing. If someone behaves in an extreme way, I'm I'm always looking for what, what underlies it rather than try, judging them for the behaviour mm. necessarily. Doesn't, don't always manage it, but, you know. Most of some some people are just horrible, but you know, most of the time there's something yeah. going on. Yes. And what does your Jewish life, your way, mean to you, Sarah? <laughs> uh, to me, it just means, you know, not not being prescriptive about, you know, having a sort of threshold of 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 how Jewish you have to be and ticking boxes before you can celebrate your Jewish and cultural. You know, to me, it's just an intrinsic part of who I am. Um, Mm. In, in the same way that being autistic is I wouldn't be who I am if I wasn't Jewish so that's so yeah. beautifully said and you know anyone who knows you your your Jewishness is such a part of your identity it's always it's 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 intrinsic like you say and I did a re I posted a reel I think it was yesterday we linked in the show notes where it was just a really fun little reel where I, I said something like there's no such thing as a good Jew or a bad Jew you're not any less Jewish if you don't speak Hebrew. You're not any less mm. Jewish if you marry someone non-Jewish and that kind of thing. And then in the caption, it was all about, you know, it was something to do like don't not to judge people. And actually the people that judge, it says more about them than 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 you. And and most of the comments were great, but one of the comments was made me laugh. It was, um, there is such a thing as a bad Jew and it's you. <laughs> Or something like that. You know, how can you tell people that it's okay to do? And it was just, and you know how I, I just, I, and I wouldn't normally respond, yeah. but I just felt compelled to a bit like you sometimes on Twitter. And I just said something, you know, true Torah philosophy is to respect every Jew for for, for who he or she is and leave yeah. judgment to the Almighty. And it's just, it's, it's a shame. It's such a thing, and 
in you know that is really hard to shift this 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 judgment of of you know I loved how you described it it's just an intrinsic part of you no one can tell you you're a good you're a bad you you know yeah what can we do to to, to on that <laughs> <laughs> to to you know to stop this judgment it's and people are always going to be judgmental you just got to I guess not let it um seep into your own sense of identity and not internalize it which is easier said than done but as long as you know who you are you you know you don't need some outside um arbiter of of jewishness to to rubber stamp your your jewish identity you know and as long as you're comfortable with that then it you know they can they can be as judgmental as they want (laughs) i think we're gonna have to directly quote you on that that was brilliant (laughs) thank you Finally, question ask all my guests, if you could have Friday night dinner with any three Jewish people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, okay. I thought a lot about this. Um, okay, first, Daniel Radcliffe, because he seems <laughs> lovely. And I, I think we'd have a lot to talk about. Rachel Bloom, creator, showrunner, um, comedian, comedy writer, mu- uh, musical com- com- comedian, um, uh, did the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. If you haven't seen it, it's very Jewish. It's brilliant. It's it's wonderful. Um, watch it. Um, I, I don't know where it's on. I think it's on Amazon now. And because she seems hilarious. And actually, I, I might be a bit intimidated. No, I'd be okay because there would be other people there to carry the conversation. So I would be fine. Um, and the third one, I would have Brian Epstein, um, also known as the the sometimes known as the fifth beetle or one of the many fifth beetles um manager of the beetles i have a lot of questions for him <laughs> wow um well i think a previous guest have mentioned uh daniel radcliffe is one of his guests but or her guest i can't remember who it was but the other two are are new to the your jewish life your way friday night table so yeah what a great group and um what kind of food would you want served up <laughs> oh, would have shabbat pizza yeah. and uh Pizza and donuts, that would be able to be a, be a big, disgusting uh, junk food feast. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. Look, sorry, it's been so much fun today. I'm so excited to finish reading Eight Bright Lights. I've had to drag my, I'm really bad at reading fiction when I'm in London. I was away in New York and Philadelphia, even though it was a work trip. I read on the plane, on the train. And now I'm back. Oh, so yeah, I hard. haven't yet yet finished it, but I've I've got it waiting to be finished, and I'm very excited too. And yeah, really excited to to see it out in the wild later on this year. I know it's available for pre-order, but very excited to 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 get it out to everybody and also see the cover. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the co- the cover's out there. If you look at my it Instagram, is? it's it's out there. Yeah, yeah. I will check it out. I will <laughs> check it out. I am, you know, creative, so I do judge books by their covers, having said that. <laughs> but it's a no judgment zone, no, no joking. So Sarah, it's been great fun today. Hopefully we don't leave it so long till we speak again in person. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, all the best. You too. Lovely to talk to you, Karen. If this episode inspired you in some way, I'd love you to take a screenshot of you listening on your device and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at Your Jewish Life. I'd love to be Instagram friends.
I'd also be thrilled if you wanted to share this episode with anyone you know who might benefit from it and subscribe so you don't miss an episode as well. If you want to do another mitzvah, if you leave a review, that would be amazing because that way more people get to see the podcast, get to know about the podcast and we can spread our wonderful Jewish joy all over. So that would be fabulous if you wanted to leave me a review. Just before I go, I've got a little gift for you going to put a big Jewish joy smile on your face and it is my personal ultimate Jewish joy Spotify playlist it's 50 uplifting Jewish joy songs that are perfect for dancing around the living room or blasting out in the car just immersing yourself in Jewish joy it's the best Jewish music and Israeli music covering all kinds of genres and styles and it is so uplifting and so fun it's guaranteed joy whether you're Jewish Jewish or becoming Jewish I think you're gonna love it so just head to yourjewishlife.co slash playlist to grab it that's yourjewishlife.co.co that is slash playlist playlist is all one word you can grab the Spotify playlist and you can be dancing around your living room and feeling fabulous in a matter of minutes so off you go and I will see you back here for the next episode